We are in Surah Al-Jathiyah, Surah number 45, Ayah number 18. Rajim, ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاكَ عَلَى شَرِيَعَةٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ فَاتَّبِعَهَا وَلَا تَتَّبِعَ أَهْوَاءَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the previous ayah that he gave the Banu Israel many signs and proofs and evidence and they understood those and they started to differ after they received knowledge. So knowledge is not the final phase because then you still have to reform your inner. And they differed and they eventually killed each other. Out of transgression, rebellion against each other, jealousy, pride, arrogance, etc. So this is now an ayah for the Prophet ﷺ, as this is a Makki ayah informing the Prophet ﷺ that you have uh, a role to play also in terms of understanding law, understanding how to create a community. This is number ayah number 18. ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاكَ عَلَى شَرِيعَةٍ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ then we placed you on a sharia from the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the order, amr means order, the divine order and the order of law. Okay, so we placed you on that order. So uh, follow that and don't follow the whims and fancies and desires of those who don't know the law, who don't know the sharia. Uh, so, so the issue of compromising in terms of a hukum of Allah, that is a no-no for the Prophet So there are fundamentals and principles that remain Islamic regardless of time and space, regardless of the context. So those immovable realities of Islam people cannot compromise on because then society is going to say that why not this and why not that and the need is this and the need is that. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the Prophet in Makkah that look at what happened to the Banu Israel. They had the law, they had the Torah and more than that they had the knowledge of the law and the Torah and they understood it. What they didn't have was this uh, willingness to, to serve Allah and to serve Musa, and they wanted to serve themselves and their own desires and passions. And then Allah punished them, and this is what happened to them. They became splinter groups. Here with you, O Muhammad, as you are now preparing to go to Medina, where you will also find a community that has the Sharia. So you must establish the principles of Sharia in very 
in a kind of forceful way so that people don't uh, move the goalpost because of the context. So this uh, don't follow the whims fancies of those who don't know. That's the context. So the society may dictate this and that. So you have to now decide these are principles and this is now not subject to change. Why? Because they won't be able to avail you against Allah in any way, shape or form on the Day of Judgment. You will be held responsible for whatever you say, whatever you decide. Now, in real life, in communities and in societies and perhaps even in civilizations, there will be people who will try to now underestimate the value of Sharia and the value of law and the value of now religion itself. But uh, they are friends with each other. Ba'dum only They're friends with each other. They will do whatever they do. They will unite for the sake of one reason and for one purpose, and that is to undermine whatever it is the Quran and Sunnah wants to promote. And then they are their friends. Who is your friend? Allah is the wali, the friend of those who have taqwa and those who do not succumb to the pressures of the community and society simply because the community and society want uh, things to happen in a different way, in a different kind of understanding. So Allah is your friend. Those people, they're not your friends. So that's now... It's a tall order, and this also comes to the hukam, the governments, Muslim governments, and the khalifa, whoever is ruling the Muslim community, this uh, kind of comes down inherent, in, they inherit this wilaya from the Prophet and they have to abide by this rule also, that immovable, unchangeable principles are there forever. You don't change those. So there are certain Islamic values, and there are certain Islamic principles of uh, aqidah and of law that uh, simply uh, do not need to be changed. As I say, we don't change goalposts because of the context. You can do some maneuvering here and there for certain micro-issues, but at the macro level, you can't do this. You have to make sure that it remains Islamic in that sense. So now that Allah is comparing what the Prophet needs to do in future with what the Banu Israel failed to do. Because they were also a religious community. And they were very pious people in that community. And some very, very good people. But in, in leadership, uh, when you want to do this, then they were unfortunately guilty of distortion. Yeah? Guilty of uh, distortion. Yeah. They would change and corrupt and distort the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then um, they would change the meaning according to what people wanted. And they would take bribes for that and they would sell themselves for very few, very little price and so on. So these are now insights 
for people. These are the means of now seeing for people, basair, things that are now seen and in insight and foresight both. Wahudan and a means of guidance, warahma and a means of rahma. So these are three things here. One is the ability to see. So in seeing there will be vision, and in seeing there will be the uh, ability to observe uh, and to note. But that's not enough to run a Muslim community. You don't need only insight and foresight. You need something else. And what is that? Hudan, you need hidayah. You need tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You need guidance. So the Qur'an is not only building your insight and your foresight and your vision, it's also giving you strict guidance. And then, warahma, that you must believe that the guidance is a rahma. It's not a zahma. It's not a burden. It's pure rahma from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rahma, obviously usually mistranslated as mercy. Mercy is not a translation for rahmah. Rahmah is not always merciful. (laughs) So you're asking somebody to wake up in the morning every day for fajr. That doesn't sound too merciful. But it's rahmah. You're asking people to fast in Ramadan long hours, and that's not too merciful. But it's rahmah. So there you have to understand that the word rahmah does not always denote mercy. Mercy is uh, maybe sometimes a component of rahmah, uh, but not always there. So rahmah is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delivers to human beings, meaning consequentially it is a rahmah. Or at the macro level it's a rahmah, not necessarily the micro level. Right, meaning that when you, God forbid, you have a problem and uh, people go into your body and you have intervention. Uh, the doctor and the surgeon intervenes into your body. Uh, that doesn't sound too merciful. In fact, it's barbaric, especially with open heart surgery. It's just barbaric. They, they take a saw right, and they cut your chest into two. That doesn't sound very merciful. But society has conceded it is mercy because of its consequence. I'm just using that as, as a very general example. I'm not saying that's good or bad or whatever. Right. So, rahmah, you must not misrepresent as mercy. That's a Christian thing. It's not a Muslim thing. Yeah. A Muslim will say rahmah means that the eventual consequence of this act will be that Allah will allow me to enter Jannah. That is the rahmah. Right? Or there's a means of benefit in that for human beings, uh, which is not detrimental. Uh, so sometimes mercy is uh, unfortunately overrated. Uh, so obviously Allah has rahm, rahman rahim. He is compassionate. He does forgive sins. Um, but it's very different. In a Muslim psyche, the word rahmah is not always at the micro level. It's in the macro level. Consequentially, what's going to be the effect of this ruling or this hidayah, this guidance? The effect will be that you will be saved from 
many forms of anxiety and perils of society and community, and eventually you'll be saved from the punishment also. So then, yeah. so then the Prophet is being now pre-warned, yeah? he's been pre-warned of this in Makkah, that the mindset has already been developed for the Prophet as a legal mindset, this qanun, as a legal uh, person, somebody who's into understanding how legal principles work, and you're a legal theorist, then you can't always uh, accommodate every individual's desire in the law. That's not how law works. Uh, somebody says, I, I don't like the idea of, I need to drive 30 miles an hour on this road. The law is not made just for you, it's made for the general community. So we have to see the pros and cons of what it is you want and don't want. And then we decide as legislator, this is the best in our opinion. Likewise, divine law is the same way. That divine law doesn't always necessarily accommodate every individual's desire. So if you are a representative of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a Rasulullah, then you will also do the same. You won't follow everyone's desire if the law has already been decided. Some people may fall through the cracks, some people may not stay there, but that's the law. As I said, in Salat, if you, in, uh, if you agree that Salat is felt five times a day, which you should as a Muslim, then it is a matter that is difficult for you. That difficulty is not because the law is difficult. That difficulty is because of your individual circumstance. Okay, so we can't override the law because of circumstances for every individual. Because then that leads to anarchy. And that's not law. That's anarchy. Yeah. So that's how the, 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 the words here is that it gives you insight, foresight, vision. These rulings, basair, number one, that even at the utilitarian level, when you're trying to understand Islamic law and the rulings, if you understand that, there will be pros and cons, but you will see the benefit will always outweigh the harm. Now, even if that's not the case, the Quran says, Hudan, it is guidance. Where does guidance come from? It comes from Wahi. So now some issues will be above your intellect. Some issues will be within your intellect. The Basair are within your intellect. And the huda is beyond you, beyond your intellect. And then more than that, it will be rahmah. That you may not see what the consequence of the law is here, because you will see it over there. Asa an takrahu shayyum wa khayru lakum, wa asa an tuhibbu shayyum wa sharru lakum, the Quran says. It's quite possible that you love something, but it's not good for you. And it's quite possible that you dislike something and it's good for you. Right? Meaning that the likes and dislikes of the individual human being are never accommodated in the legislator. It doesn't work, law doesn't work that way. Okay. So you have pros and cons, you have risks and harm and benefit in the utilitarian theory. And in the Islamic theory, you have that along with guidance, and along with principles, and along with rahmah, and so on. So if somebody says that uh, praying five times a day is so cumbersome on Muslims, so we should not abolish that. 
We say that is not rahmah. That's adab. That's punishment if you do that. Right? Yes, you have to understand here that the Quran is using the Banu Israel to show Muslims that when they develop a religious community, they have to make sure they don't fall into the same pitfalls as they did, because they also had knowledge and guidance, and they understood knowledge and guidance, but they failed to do so based on not having their nafs developed. The nafs has to develop, acquiesce, and realize the role of the Prophet and the role of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of this for those who have yaqeen, those who have certainty. One is you have some knowledge, which is now speculative at best in theories, and you have another knowledge which is based on yaqeen, certainty. Okay, so this knowledge is for those who have certainty that there is hidayah and there is rahmah. Yeah, that's the level of iman that is required to actually appreciate and implement this. And so although you follow the sunnah of the process and in the way you implement it also. أَمْ حَسِبَ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرُوا حَسَّيَّاتِ أَنْ نَجْعَلَهُمْ كَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَوَاءٌ مَحْيَاهُمْ وَمَمَاتُهُمْ سَامَ يَحْكُمُونَ Then for you, the common disease here in, uh, in Muslims in Western countries and even now in Muslim countries that uh, they commit sin after sin after sin and they assume they're pious. They're actually good Muslims. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, Allah uh, destroys that uh, kind of bid'ah. Do those who commit sin believe and assume that we're going to make them like those who believe and do good deeds? Those who believe that their life and death are the same. That's not the case. So if you commit a sin meaning a sin that the Sharia and the Quran and Sunnah, they have determined this to be a sin, and you continuously approach that, commit those sins, and then you assume that you're okay. Then Allah says, no. Very evil is what they have ruled and decided, meaning their choice is wrong. It's misguided. So the proof there is in the pudding. Am I following the rules of Allah and the Sunnah? Am I following my own nafs because I don't believe in this? So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing the mind of the Prophet and also the Sahaba who are listening to these ayat being recited that when they go to Medina they will always have a choice. To do this or to that. Okay. So Allah won't take away that choice. But if you make the wrong choice, then Allah will eventually tell you you made the wrong choice. Yeah. So then you must not assume that you're on the right path because you have made a wrong choice. That is the worst type of bid'ah because then there's no hope for tawbah there. When somebody assumes that what he is doing is right, then there's very little hope in correcting that person's assumption because that person then becomes stubborn and very arrogant about the whole issue. So you need a little bit of humility and uh, submission to Allah's will. 
as you navigate Islam. So that's so the word yahkumun is very intriguing that people make this choice willingly. They determine this hukum, this verdict willingly, knowing perhaps that they are wrong. Anyways, this now, the discussion about the Banu Israel that started a few ayat before these ayat, and now this is the conclusion for the Prophet ﷺ that he must now manage the Sahaba so that they understand and appreciate Allah's law is full of guidance and full of rahmah and is based on insights and foresights and a vision for humanity and human success and human safety more than anything else. The Quran Sunnah will not allow human beings to be compromised because of any law and the law is not made in that way. خَلَقَ اللَّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ بِالْحَقِّ وَلِتُجْزَى كُلِّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ وَهُمْ لَا يُظْلَمُونَ Coming back to the cosmology that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the heavens and the earth all with the haqq, with the absolute truth. Nothing in Allah's creation is for vain and for amusement and for sport. Everything is bilhaq. Meaning that if you look into the heavens and the earth, and you look into creation, which we call nature, then you won't see anything that is out of place, out of order. Everything's in sync with each other. Everything now works with each other. Everything is doing what it's supposed to do. That's how Allah has created everything, with the haqq, not with any batil, and so on. So now if you say that Allah creates with his amr, his command and order, then when he gives an order in sharia, is going to be with the same consistency, with the same coherency, okay? with the same uh, you know, charm and the, change, the same beauty. So just as Allah has created everything in the heavens and the earth with this uh, magnificent uh, structure, organization, consistency, coherency, likewise when he gives a command to human beings about a law, then it's the same thing. It crosses over. You can't say Allah gives incomplete commands and inconsistent commands and incoherent commands because that's not the way we understand cosmology. Our cosmology is perfect according to how Allah creates. Allah is the perfect creator. Likewise, Allah is the perfect person, being who gives orders, either orders that pertain to Allah's creation or orders that pertain to human beings. He's the same being. You can't divide that being. So this being, he gives orders for the creation. He's perfect. When he gives orders to human beings, he's imperfect. That's not shirk. You can't do that. There's, you've, di- you've dichotomized God. Okay? You've made him into two personalities. No, he's, he's not polar, right? bipolar. Allah is one. Allah is wahid. Allah is ahad. He's the same being. So the same amr that creates the same amr that gives you orders. Because the word Amr means both, command and order. So this is how this ayah, now in that order, Allah then says that eventually every person will be repaid for what they earn. And that's part of our understanding human existence. So we understand the existence of the heavens and the earth, and we also understand the existence of human beings 
that they will not be harmed or misjudged or they will not be violated. No wrong will come upon the human beings when they are judged. So Allah doesn't do that. He is a very just being. And that's the way he rules and that's the way he governs. Okay, so now this natural order that you have, obviously science is quite limited, but if you say hard sciences, whatever. So even in those hard sciences, there's an order. And everything's functional, everything works. Likewise, in the order of uh, law, everything should work the same way as the laws of nature work. So you have the laws of nature that govern nature, and then you have the laws of human beings that should govern human beings. The problem comes with the choice of human beings, not with the law. So if, if you have a car and the car works, then the car is following the laws of physics or mechanics, whatever, engineering. When does it not function? When there's something wrong. Right? So there's nothing wrong with the mechanics or the laws that govern the car. What's wrong is the car itself. Likewise, there's nothing wrong with Allah's laws. What's wrong is with the human being. So you have to now connect the two systems, that the taqween and the tashri, both the cosmos and the uh, Sharia come together in this uh, theory and perhaps in this philosophy. But anyway, there is no zulm on the Day of Judgment or in this world against any human being. Human beings will be judged according to their choices that they make willingly here on this planet. And then this uh, phenomenal ayah which comes up here but have you not seen the one who has taken his whim, passion, desire to be his God? That the fate of intellectuals and philosophers and poets and scientists is this that they make their own desires their God. They worship their knowledge, which is their desire. Mm. Yeah. So this is now the ayah is saying that uh, Allah has an order. What is that order? That's the order. Allah will misguide him despite knowledge, upon knowledge. Okay. The scientist knows, he knows quite a bit. The philosophers know, they know quite a bit. The engineers and everybody else, they know, they know quite a bit. But despite knowing, they are misguided. Why? Because they don't choose to worship Allah, they choose to worship their knowledge, which is their desire, their hawa, their passion. So what's the passion of a scientist? If there's an atheist, what's his passion? His passion is science. What is it? He's worshipping his science. And the science now becomes a barrier between him and worshipping Allah. So now the ayah is saying that there's another component to knowledge that you must add submission to Allah as part of that component, as part of that science. 
So Muslim scientists are different from non-Muslim scientists because the Muslim scientist believes in Allah. And they should not commit, but they do. On the whole, they do. They still pray. They come for Jummah. And they'll do everything that other Muslims do. On the whole, mashallah. But here Allah is warning the human mind that before you become, you know, sophisticated intellectuals, you have to make sure you don't worship your intellect, you don't worship your knowledge, you don't worship your passion, your desire, and your goals, and so on. So you worship Allah alone, independently, with no attachment to anything else that is part of his creation. So it's a warning to the religious community also. Just as the Banu Israel, they were a supremely religious community, and some of them, as I said, were exceptionally good, but since they worshipped something other than Allah, they worshipped their knowledge or the system, or whatever it is their passion, desire was, or their philosophy or their ideology, it doesn't matter. Anything besides Allah is shirk. Okay. Then Allah misguided them because that's part of the order. Right? Meaning that there's a natural order here. Like why does Allah misguide? If you take a knife and you kill yourself, then who's responsible? You are. Because you made that choice. Allah has given you the choice. And if you take a knife and you cut an apple with it, then you, know, you made that choice. So Allah is not to blame because he's not going to discriminate in the order. You can blame Allah if there's discrimination in the process, but there's no discrimination here. You have a choice. You can worship your science or you can worship Allah. You have the choice. So if you're humble, you'll acquiesce to Allah's rules. I'm worshipping Allah. I'm not worshipping this. Although this makes more sense, now I'm still going to forego that and I'm going to surrender to Allah. Willingly. The key is willingly, with your own choice. Not unwillingly, not because of society, not because of culture, not because of anything else. But you teach us that willingly you're going to say, I'm going to worship Allah because I want to. It's my choice. Nobody can take that freedom away from me. Right? So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that in the natural order of cause and effect, if you worship your whim, desire, passion, ideology, philosophy, science, knowledge, whatever, yourself, then you're misguided. And you're responsible for that misguidance. And then Allah says, وَخَتَمَ عَلَى سَمْعِهِ وَقَلْبِهِ Allah will then seal their sight and their heart. Their hearing and their, their heart. So hearing and heart, they go together in the Quranic metaphysics. In فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَى لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ أَوْ أَلْقَى السَّمْعَ وَهُوَ شَهِيدٌ That I is saying this. Right, so that the sama, the listening, the ability to listen. Okay, you hear, but you don't listen. And then the Quran says, Sami'na wa ta'na. Right, so if you hear, you must obey. That's when you listen. But if you hear and you don't obey, then you're not listening. So when you don't listen, Allah says, I'm stamping your hearing. I won't let you hear. And then you won't listen. And then you won't do anything. So this is how... Uh, the Qur'an's, uh, you know, um, uh, onslaught against those who are hedonist and materialist and those who don't believe in Allah themselves is very clear. That this is the way we are projecting your misguidance. وَقَلْبِهِ in the heart, the heart hardens 
as I said, you become stubborn and you become arrogant and nothing enters your heart because you've already made up your mind. You made up your mind. I'm not going to concede to this. I don't want to believe it. Why don't you believe it? I don't want to. That's always the backdrop against which people argue, against religion in general, that their heart is not there. My heart is not there. Okay. Do you have the ability to put your heart there? You do. But you don't want to because of this choice. Uh, you can if you want to, if you made the choice. Then he's going to place on their seeing veils. And they'll be veiled from seeing the truth. They'll look at the truth, but they won't see it. As I said, when you will hear something, but you won't listen. Like we all do with our mothers. We'll hear her, we won't listen. We won't do anything she wants. (laughs) And she screams at you for good reason. That's hearing but not listening. Likewise, you're seeing but you're not observing. You're not seeing the truth. You're not seeing the reality. You're seeing everything. Right? So Abu Jahl sees the Prophet ﷺ, but he's veiled from him. And Abu, Abu Bakr sees the Prophet ﷺ, he's not veiled. So the veil there is the inability to perceive and accept the truth. So the haq there is very important that you're seeing the haqq through Allah's creation, in Allah's creation, and so on. فَمَنْ يَهْدِيهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ اللَّهِ Who's going to guide him after Allah, meaning after Allah misguides him, do, do you not now understand and take heed? Uh, don't you reprimand yourself and see this is now how things work. In cause and effect. Okay, so the ayah is now attributing misguidance to Allah, but that misguidance is based on a cause and effect that Allah has already placed in his creation. So the cause is the human being's own non-compliant uh, attitude towards appreciating the truth. Okay. That can change if the human being decides to himself. It's really up to the human being. But Allah has attributed to himself because he's now made that order. Okay? Just as Allah has made the order that poison will kill you and water will quench your thirst, that's an order Allah has now made. But because he's made it, he's attributing the, the order to himself. Likewise here, misguidance is from within. Yeah, if the human being chooses misguidance, then Allah will not guide you because then he will be discriminating. Yeah, the rules don't change. The playing field is equal. Yeah. Whoever wishes, they can believe, and whoever wishes, they can disbelieve. It's the choice is yours. But if you make this choice, you'll go here, and if you make this choice, you'll go there. That's the consequence. That's the effect of the choice. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now uh, addressing the Prophet ﷺ in Makkah before he goes to Medina, that uh, your ummah will receive immense knowledge just as the Banu Israel received immense knowledge. But they will fight and bicker and kill each other like they did. What's the solution? 
solution is to follow the Prophet and don't fight, don't kill each other because you differ. Right? That's the solution. And then the Prophet predicted that the Ummah will now form splinter groups into what, 72, 73 uh, parties and groups. Everybody will be in the fire except one. Uh, and who will they be, Ya Rasulullah? Those who are on my path and the path of my Sahaba, understanding that despite having political differences, Ali and Mawiyah, you stay on the truth. You don't change your religion because you have a political difference. Right? That's the beauty of that phenomenon that we call uh, the mushajara, the fighting amongst the Sahaba. Mm. That your, your, your desire should not be that you have the best knowledge and the only truth. Your desire should be to worship Allah, independent of your knowledge. That's not pure tawheed. Hmm? The knowledge will give you yaqeen, and the yaqeen will make sure that you worship Allah mukhlisan, khalisan, purely and sincerely, only for Allah. Not because ye of the knowledge you've attained or acquired, and so on. No? Yeah. So you can say you're at the gate. When you have knowledge, you're at the gate of the truth. You can enter the gate with your submission to Allah, or you can stay there outside of the gate. That's how the Prophet's mind is being trained, developed, and disciplined. That uh, you're going to find a Sharia that we will give you. Then the Sharia, the people who uphold the Sharia, must worship Allah. Period. Yeah, nothing else. Yeah. So that when you worship Allah and you follow the Prophet, then you're doing things for Allah and the Prophet. And the differences will be differences. They will not be resolved in this world. As the previous ayah says, hmm? ayah number 17, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ يَخْضِي بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ فِيمَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ Your Lord will judge on the day of judgment with regards to what they differ about. So all your quarrels and your arguments and your uh, whatever it is, difference of opinion, this is not the place where they will be revolved and resolved. They will be resolved on the Day of Judgment. Allah is Maliki Yumuddin. So now you're not worshipping your opinion. That's why the Prophet said at a societal level that, God forbid, there's somebody there who's not so pious and is leading the Salat as long as he knows how to lead Salat. That is, if he doesn't know how to lead Salat, then your Salat is not valid, his Salat is not valid. But somebody knows how to lead Salat and he's not the best person, then follow him. Pray behind him. That's the adab of society. But not, maybe not in the US. <laughs> We're a Muslim community and we have people who knew everything they need to know about Salat and Wudu and Tahara. That is fine. Meaning, don't be so judgmental that you, you, you start overriding the Sharia because of your knowledge. You can't override Sharia because of your knowledge. You have to follow it. That's what the Sharia is for. You follow it. Okay. So there are certain Sahaba who did pray behind Hajjaj. Uh, Hajjaj the butcher. They prayed behind him because of the Sharia, not because of their women desire. 
Had it been that they had a choice, then they would have said, no, we're not praying behind you. But they left their choice and they followed the Sharia, which is now worshipping Allah and following the Rasul. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, you know, you have to be very careful how, how you develop this into a, a, a social order. Hmm? So the social order is that people have knowledge, they gain knowledge, they acquire knowledge, whether it's speculative or real, it doesn't matter. Okay. The community sees people who are scientists and philosophers and PhD holders as knowledgeable people. But Allah is saying to all those knowledgeable people that you have to worship Allah, not your science, not your knowledge, which is a very tall order. It's easier said than done. Right? Very tall order. If you're a simple person, alhamdulillah, you don't have too many questions in your mind, then worshiping Allah is very easy. But if you have so much knowledge and you have now papers and papers and research after research, and then, then obviously you're kind of infested with the pollutions of that research, and your mind becomes so complicated that you don't see the truth. So Allah unveils you. You become veiled because of your knowledge and you, you don't submit to anything except your knowledge. My knowledge tells me this. So I'm not doing anything. Allah says that I gave you the knowledge. I created you. I created your knowledge. I created your intelligence and I created everything. Worship me. Worship Allah. Who is the Khaliq of everything? He is your Khaliq and he is your mind's Khaliq and he is your knowledge's Khaliq. So why are you worshipping the makhluk? It sounds easy. Very difficult in real life. So you have to tell people, worship Allah. Yeah. There's no shirk. Allah doesn't appreciate shirk in any way, shape or form. Not from anybody. Not even from the Prophet Quran says, If you commit shirk, then all your actions will be in vain. I mean, hypothetically, in theory, to show that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not appreciate anyone coming between him and his worship, even the Rasul. Even the Rasul. So now the Rasul has knowledge. He has wahi. More knowledge than we can imagine and fathom. So here, I think the, the, the uh, formula in these ayat is that you gain knowledge for the sake of learning, gain knowledge, and you discuss it. But don't let your knowledge disrupt your ibadah. Yeah, don't let it disrupt your ibadah. You must worship Allah, not because of your knowledge, but because you want to worship Allah for Allah's sake and for His love and for the love of following the Rasul. Do you now, now not take any heed? Don't you learn any lessons from this? And then that's one issue. The second issue is probably more problematic today than in, perhaps in any other time, and that is the issue of you know, atheism. Mm. Right, not uh, conceding that the creation has a creator. Mm. Allah separates the type of knowledge that atheists have from the type of knowledge that believers have. The type of knowledge that atheists have is purely speculative. In whom illa All they do is speculate. 
they have no knowledge of that. Who creates and who does not create? And they say that this is only this world. Our life is only this world. We die and we live. And no one will destroy us except time. Dhar. Yeah, discussions on the word dhar. We are not here. They have no knowledge of this. All they do is speculate. So here the Qur'an addresses the human beings at two levels. One is at the intellectual level, so-called, and the other is at the level of submission to Allah. Where you submit that there is a creator besides the creation. So if you're atheist, will say the creation, created creation. On the face value, it sounds very dumb. Yeah. The creation, greater creation. It just happened. So Allah says, no, there is a khaliq, there's a creator, and that's why you have creation. So they call it nature, whatever they call it. And the time and infinity and all of that is what regulates everything. So we say, no, time is something that Allah creates. Allah himself creates time, not eternity, but infinity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates, if there is something like that. Anyway, so there Allah is saying to that uh, the, the, the height of human intellect now uh, falls short of perceiving, realizing the truth. So the intellect can only perceive and realize that which is within its grasp. What's within the grasp of the human intellect? Whatever is within time. Can the human being perceive anything after death? No. So as soon as you fight time, then you're limited by time, and your intellect will only live within time. It won't live outside of time until you die. After you die, then it's a different dimension altogether. So who can give you knowledge of events and realities after time or before time? That can only be a Nabi. And that can only be through Wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the atheist is restricted, severely restricted by living in time. So he sees time as his ultimate fate and destination, which is probably true, but not in the way they see it, not in the way they understand it. So now, the genius of the Nabi is that the Nabi tells you what happens before time, what happens in time, and what happens after time. And also what happens in eternity, when time is killed. On the Day of Judgment, Allah will bring time and kill it. This is the end of time. After this, is only eternity. It's in Jannah and Jahannam. So now this ayah of Dahr is very uh, crucial to our understanding that the atheists really have no foundation upon which they can judge the people of religion because the platform of religion is not based on just time. It's based on pre-eternity and post-time eternity. They have no knowledge of this. And they merely speculate. So if, if they say that the Hariya, Okay, the word for atheist in Arabic is from this word, dahriya, those who believe that time is the only factor in their lives. 
and so on. So we say Allah creates time. So time itself is a creation. And that has to be conceded by faith, by iman. You have to believe in wahi and you have to believe in Allah as the creator to understand this and to appreciate this. Okay. Are there logical reason, explanation? Yeah, there are. Uh, mashallah, people who master atheism and master religion, they, they can explain all of this uh, to you. But the basic principle is that the human intellect is severely impaired and restricted and it can only think about what's in its grasp. What's not in its grasp, the human being has no control over. Okay, so in the world of dreams, things come from the other world and the human being cannot dictate what the human being sees in the dream. The dream is something that's impulsive, is intuitive, it comes from a different plane of existence. You can't manipulate that, that today I'm now going to sleep and I want to dream of this. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So we have to appreciate that Allah's knowledge here is eternal and the Prophet's knowledge is also eternal in the sense that he will be given knowledge and uh, on the Day of Judgment, which he has not been given here in this world, and then the knowledge will continue in Jannah also. So we see this, that uh, the, the, in the pursuit of the truth, you need to appreciate the Creator, who creates the heavens and the earth with the truth. Not just time, but everything. In the heavens and the earth, including time, Allah creates with the truth. So now if you see the truth in creation, you will see the truth also in religion. Yeah, so that's how you get the two together. So anyway, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides us and allows us to benefit from these ayat the way the Prophet them and the Sahaba benefited from these ayat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us nur and hidayah and give us tawfiq, inshallah. Ameen, ya rabbal alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayl khalqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. Thank <laughs> you.